the people we pay to protect us with no profit motive whatsoever poisoned entire cities. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Salutations, my liberty friends. Welcome back to Lions of Liberty, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. This is episode number 203. You can find the show notes for today's show over at lionsofliberty.com slash 203. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an incredible, free market, affordable, legal alternative to your standard Obamacare corporatized insurance. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is the Charles P. Lunsford Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Virginia Tech. He's been a key figure in exposing something that, frankly, transcends political ideology. It's a crisis we've all heard about in the news over the last few months, and that is the Flint water crisis. I am pleased to welcome in Dr. Mark Edwards. Dr. Edwards, welcome to Lions of Liberty. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's pleased to speak with you, Dr. Edwards. And you know, I don't know how many people have heard your name associated with this because the headline is, as always, Flint water crisis. But you really are one of the key figures that explodes what's going on there in Flint and, and what has happened to the water there. And, and we'll get into more detail on that in a minute. But I want to learn first a little bit more about where you're coming from. So can you just start off telling us a little bit more about yourself and what first sent you into the field of civil engineering? Was this just an area of study you found interesting or was there some sort of deeper motivation for entering into this field of study? I really wanted to do a type of career that helped people. And I started out wanting to be a veterinarian because I liked the animals more than people. But uh, then I was thinking about medical school. I worked in a community residence to pay my way through college, working with mentally challenged adults. Uh, at some point, I decided I wanted to be a marine biologist, but that didn't work out when a dolphin uh, rammed me and broke my ribs, and he thought oh, I was wow. making moves on his female harem. <laughs> uh, so that ended badly. But then I heard about Love Canal. I went to SUNY Buffalo, and without ever having had a class in engineering or much less environmental engineering, I decided right then and there I wanted to be an environmental engineer because it sounded like a great altruistically minded profession where you could help people. And I also naively thought at the time I wouldn't be running into any ethical dilemmas because uh, as an environmental engineer, you have no financial incentive to be unethical, at least I thought at the time. So yeah, I went to grad school, environmental engineering, had a great career, was a consultant, was a professor at CU Boulder, and been at Virginia Tech now for 17 years. Uh, so can you tell us about your first battle with the CDC, which dates back to 2004? There was an, a similar issue there with lead in the water in Washington, D.C. How did you first become aware of and involved with that issue back in 2004? It was incredible. It It really changed my life. What happened in Washington, D.C. was the most fundamental betrayal of the people's trust by government that I've ever heard of. I mean, just in terms of black and white case studies, the federal government runs the Washington, D.C. water system. And they inadvertently triggered this massive lead in water contamination event, the worst lead in water contamination event in modern U.S. history. Lead was over 100 parts per billion in thousands of Washington, D.C. homes. And at that time, even if you had over 40 parts per billion, 
EPA had language on their website that said 40 parts per billion is an imminent and substantial endangerment to pregnant women and children. And for three years, lead levels were way over this imminent and substantial endangerment level. EPA knew about it. The local water company knew about it. The local health department knew about it. The federal government knew about it. Everyone knew about it except the people drinking the water. And then it got in the front page of the Washington Post and people just went crazy because they realized that not only they, but the U.S. Congress was drinking high lead in their water. There were even questions about whether President Bush was being exposed to high lead in water at the White House at presidential press conferences. And at one point, People were so mad. I think there were seven congressional investigations into what went wrong. And in the midst of this just unbelievable saturation media coverage for three months, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control parachuted in and wrote a falsified scientific report with an astonishing conclusion that not a single man, woman, or child or Washington, D.C., had any evidence of elevated blood lead from this unprecedented exposure to the best-known neurotoxin. In other words, it was almost like saying 2,000 years of man's experience with lead in water was wrong. After this report was written, there were actually press reports where pediatricians wrote into the paper and said, it's amazing. What we learned in Washington, D.C. is you can drink any amount of lead in water and it won't hurt anybody. That's just incredible to me that even after it came out that there was this amount of lead in the water, there were still government officials saying, yes, even acknowledging it, but saying, but that's fine. Don't worry about it, essentially. It was incredible. They literally said that no one got hurt from this the worst lead in water contamination event in modern U.S. history. And here's where it gets even crazier. Then they started to blame the public for being hysterical about nothing. And there were actually people testifying to Congress that said, you know, EPA and the water company were right to not tell people about high lead in water because look how they get hysterical over nothing. <laughs> and then another year goes by and you cannot make this stuff up, folks. EPA, the people who actually caused this problem, covered it up, colluded with the CDC to cover it up. They gave themselves gold medal awards, the highest award in EPA for public service. These people who actually, we now know, poisoned an entire city in Washington, D.C., covered it up and lied about it, gave themselves EPA's highest honor for public service after they, they thought they got away with it. I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't so serious. It's that absurd. It is. You could not. I mean, truth is stranger than fiction. So in 2009, I mean, I worked on this about 30 hours a week for six years to prove that thousands of children were lead poisoned. And uh, it wasn't until 2010, then there was a congressional hearing where Congress found that the Centers for Disease Control Science was scientifically indefensible. But it was six years after this falsified report had been written, and good luck getting anyone held accountable, you know, that long after the fact. So what's interesting is Flint is actually 20 to 30 times less severe than the poisoning that occurred in Washington, D.C. The difference is we learned in real time that kids were hurt. In Washington, D.C., the perpetrators are, no one was held accountable. The perpetrators are still on the job. They still have their gold medal awards. The only people who got fired are 
five engineers and scientists who tried to alert the public to the harm that was occurring. So it's a classic case where the good people get destroyed and, you know, weak, unethical cowards keep their jobs. And it virtually guarantees, by the way, that we're going to repeat our mistakes over and over again because we're incapable of learning from them. That's the culture of these government agencies. They cannot admit they made mistakes. They cannot learn from their mistakes. And so we, the people, are going to pay a price for this until we change the culture. There's just so much to unpack there, but I want to take a tick back for a second and just touch on the actual effects of lead exposure on the human body, because in case our listeners aren't really familiar with exactly why this is so serious, the amount of lead being in the water that these people are drinking. So can you just kind of detail exactly how lead affects the human body when they're exposed to it at these levels? It makes such a great case study because there's actually no dispute that there is no safe level of lead exposure. It adversely affects every system in the human body and it's official U.S. government policy that we have to reduce lead exposure at every opportunity. So unlike other contamination events where people would dispute the harmful neurotoxic effects that we know about you know, for lead, in this case, there's no one disputing just how dangerous lead is, but nonetheless, Washington, D.C. and Flint occurred. Literally, the people we pay to protect us with no profit motive whatsoever poisoned entire cities. It's really unbelievable. Now, um, we'll get back into a little more about some of the reasons that this occurs in a little bit. But first, I want to get into more into the, the present day with this current Flint crisis. So why don't you tell us how you first became aware that there might be a similar crisis in Flint and how you began your investigation into that? Because the agencies are incapable of learning from their mistakes, of course, we know you're doomed to repeat them. So for years, we were waiting, unfortunately, for another Washington, D.C. to occur. And unfortunately, it did occur in Flint. It started innocently enough with a parent calling me. She had twin boys. One of them wasn't growing as fast as the other one and was kind of lagging in development. And they had other problems. The water was tasting bad. It looked bad. It was, they thought, giving them rashes and, you know, making them sick. But the mother had the child tested and found the one whose growth was lagging had elevated lead in the blood. And, of course, that's one manifestation of what lead does. It stunts your growth, essentially, not just neurologically or your brain, but physically. And we worked with her. I had a friend at EPA who told me that there were problems in the system. And so we sampled with her one day in April, and we found just outrageously high levels of lead in her drinking water, uh, literally two and a half times hazardous waste levels of lead were coming out of her tap. The World Health Organization standard for lead is 10 parts per billion. Hazardous waste is 5,000 parts per billion. The worst samples at her house were 13,500 parts per billion. So when we saw this, I almost, you know, my heart just skipped a couple of beats and I mean, (laughs) and so my friend uh, at EPA Miguel del Toro, who's absolutely a hero in this, uh, he put his career on the line to write a memo that outlined what was happening in Flint and the fact that they were not following federal law, that the entire city was in danger. He used our data. And then 
rather than do something about it, the EPA and the state both covered this problem up incredibly. Even after it was leaked to the press and this memo came out detailing exactly what was going wrong and why, the EPA and the state covered this up and were basically ensuring that kids in Flint, their future would be essentially raped and the city would be destroyed because that's another effect of corrosive water it eats up the pipe system. And of course, we now know it also probably caused the Legionella outbreak, one of the worst in history. And there's 10 people dead as a result. Do you see the, the crisis in Flint? Because I mean, I look at the whole timeline and how, you know, the, the city of Flint, basically their management was taken over by the state government. And there were decisions made to change their water source from Lake Huron to the Flint River. And I, from what I understand, this was only done with saving money in mind. Of course, it's somewhat ironic because now they have to spend a ton more money to actually fix this problem and, and help people and try to get the water straight again. But I mean, is this something that was foreseeable? I mean, should this be something that experts would have seen coming a mile oh, away and just ignore? Absolutely. I mean, the second I heard that they were not following federal law, were not adding the corrosion control inhibitor, I knew exactly what would be expected throughout the city, which is their pipe system would be being destroyed and children would be having elevated blood lead. Uh, so it was just astonishing when this was laid out in a memo. I mean, it's something that, you know, it's just anyone who has any knowledge in this field knows you never do this. Uh, but the fact that they then covered it up and all these outsiders. I mean, it was just a, it's a miracle what happened to get kids out of harm's way. Everyone from ACLU Michigan to Virginia Tech to the Flint residents to a local pediatrician and the local health community had not all of these people just dropped everything in their life to fight for Flint's kids. Those kids would still be drinking that water to this day. It's incredible. And so the miracle here is not that Flint occurred. The miracle is they got caught and we mustered this critical mass of moral courage to actually protect Flint children. And the kind of the crazy thing here is that they're essentially caught by a mother, a concerned mother, and you and your team at Virginia Tech who's, who studied the water. This was not some watchdog government agency that came in and exposed this to the public. It was you, a private citizen. Even worse, we had to fight them every step of the way. It was incredible. The residents would complain. No one listened to them. We showed there was high lead throughout the city, and they fought us and said, no, the water's perfectly safe. Mr. Del Toro was taken off the job, not allowed to talk to anyone about Flint or uh, from Flint. And, you know, finally, when they actually saw in their own data that the incidence of lead poisoning in Flint neighborhoods was skyrocketing, only then did the state and EPA throw the towel in. So we actually had to fight the government agencies every step of the way until they saw in their own data that the incidence of lead poisoning in Flint was skyrocketing. Now, you mentioned, uh, Dr. Edwards, when you first went into the field of engineering, it, it kind of appealed to you because you saw it as somewhere where there would be no ethical conflicts. There was no motivation that you could see to make unethical decisions. And yet, as we can clearly see here, there are many people, it would be lovely to just say they're ignorant and making stupid decisions, but it really seems that this has to be a certain level of insidiousness here because it just is so obvious to anyone paying attention that this kind of thing was going to happen, especially other experts that are in this field, people that are in the EPA and, and the CDC, they, they really should be able to see these things coming. Uh, so 
I mean, from what you've learned about how these institutions function, what are the motivations that for people to actually act unethically? Because clearly that is happening. It's incredible. It's a new phenomenon that uh, someone called David Lewis, who was actually an early EPA whistleblower, has correctly defined as called institutional scientific misconduct. This is when we have corrupt cultures at the administrative level of agencies such as the EPA and Centers for Disease Control, where they are incapable of admitting that they make mistakes. They're incapable of remorse. They're incapable of learning from their mistakes. And good people are actually fired from these agencies. I mean, it's incredible. With EPA, you can watch porn all day and you will not lose your job. But if you do your job, like Mr. Del Toro or some of my other friends at EPA who are just amazing scientists, that can get you fired. You know, so this is what I call a culture, a human perversion of natural selection, where good people are weeded out, good people leave, good people are fired, and weak, pathological, unethical people are left in the agencies. Now, that's not to say the vast majority of people at CDC and EPA are not, you know, just amazing. I mean, I know so many scientists at CDC and EPA, they're just the world's best. But if these managers are corrupt, it doesn't matter. You know, it takes one or two bad people, such as the administrator at EPA. You know, at the time that she covered this memo up in Flint, There was a congressional hearing where three whistleblowers from EPA went on record about how they were retaliated against by this regional administrator for exposing a serial sexual harasser at the agency. And, you know, so it was perfectly clear to anyone who bothered to look that this person had no place uh, running a federal agency. But even after that congressional hearing was over, she was allowed to keep her job and And so what do we expect? You know, within a week of that hearing, uh, she covered up the memo in Flint and allowed Flint's kids to be left in harm's way. So the point is we have to change the culture at these agencies. We have to hold these people accountable. And right now we have no way of doing so. We have no check and balance on their power at all. No one ever anticipated that folks at the CDC or EPA would behave this unethically with no profit motive whatsoever. Wow, Dr. Edwards, it is uh, truly unbelievable. And we're going to dig more into your story and just how this stuff can even happen in a minute. But first, I need to take a second out to tell my listeners out there about our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I purchased my own health insurance. So personally, I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My deductible more than doubled, my premium shot through the roof, and I'm just sitting here thinking, what am I actually getting for this? I'm a healthy guy. I don't go to the doctor. I really hadn't even been to a doctor for any major medical problem in years and years and years. So why would I spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month and then have to spend six or $8,000 in deductibles before I even see a dime of coverage for my health care? It just didn't add up. And it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up for most of us. But luckily, there is an alternative out there now. It's an alternative known as health sharing. And health sharing is simply awesome. (laughs) I've gotten paid for every single medical bill I've submitted in full, 100%. This is not a joke. After I spend $500, 
I get everything else back. And our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch. They'll do all the work for you. They will find your doctors. They will set appointments for you. They'll provide you 24-7 access to doctors via Skype, so you don't even need to go to a doctor or pay a dime half the time. Health Excellence Select is truly revolutionary, and you guys are doing yourselves a disservice if you do not look into this amazing alternative to your standard corporatized Obamacare health insurance. You can learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health, or if you're ready to sign up, you can directly call my representative, Jeff Cantor, at 440-283-6849. Tell him Mark from Lions of Liberty sent you. Now, Dr. Edwards, as you know, this is a libertarian-leaning show, and a lot of libertarians might hear this interview and just think, well, I told you, I told you about those government institutions, they're all bad, and, and the solution is to privatize everything. And then you might actually hear people on the other side that point at Flint and say, well, look, this is a Republican governor who came in and just wanted to slash a budget and was just thinking about this is exactly what would happen if private industry was controlling things. But uh, to me, it seems like things aren't quite that simple, and this is really more of a cultural, like you said, a, a sort of a cultural um, issue here, an, an unethical culture. And I'm not sure that public or private necessarily changes that on its own. So, I mean, do you have any insight into just how these institutions can be changed? I mean, you're only one man. I don't expect you to solve the world here. But I mean, do you see just why this seems to be fostered so much in these agencies? This basically just culture of total lack of ethics. Well, I'm eternally optimistic and, you know, it comes down to optimistic people not accepting the status quo and fighting if you ever want to change anything. And we really have to put aside, you know, our political philosophies here because these competing philosophies are allowing these unethical agencies to run amok. I mean, they're essentially like serial killers who no one is stopping. And, you know, if we just get in these ideological battles where certain groups say, well, I told you so, we shouldn't have government in the first place, and you got another group who defends government no matter how bad it is, we end up with what we have right now, which is big, bad, unethical government. None of us are safe at this point. And so we really have to do something to hold these agencies accountable. We have to put aside our political ideologies and say, look, uh, yeah, you can have these grandiose visions and philosophies, but if we don't demand value for our tax dollars, you are going to see more flints in the future. But here's news for you folks. You're not going to know about it. The miracle, again, is not that flint occurred. The miracle is they got caught. It's a great point you make, Dr. Edwards, about putting political philosophies aside because, you know, there's a certain type of person who most likely listens to a show like this. There's also a certain type of person who might hate a show like this because of the political slant that we come from here, typically. However, I think both sides of those people, not that it's as simple as two different sides, but any side of the political spectrum, I believe, if they hear this story and get this story out there, will be horrified and shocked and be able to all agree that what's going on in these agencies and, and with the situation in Flint, with what we saw in D.C., this is clearly unethical. So on things like this, we should all be able to sort of put our, our grandiose visions aside and actually get down to a true philosophy, a philosophy that promotes ethical cultures in whatever our institutions may be. Right. I think we tend to forget we do have a common morality here. And I think there's something about Flint that makes everyone angry. And that's why this has become such a national and international sensation, because you've never had such a black and white example of malevolent government, 
of incompetent government. And again, if you don't see the smoke here, if you don't see the fire here, you're never going to get it. So we all have to start fighting to make sure we get more out of these agencies. We allow good people who are throughout our government agencies, allow them to do their job. And here's the big thing. We have to figure out a way to get rid of bad people. It's practically impossible to get rid of bad people from government jobs. I'm sure your listeners know you are more likely to die on a government job than get fired. And if you ever wonder, like, what standard it takes to get fired from a government job, we've just seen it's poison an entire city, allow a legionnaire's outbreak, and destroy their vital infrastructure. We've finally reached the threshold where some people at a state government agency got fired. And, of course, regional administrator uh, Susan Hedman also was forced to resign. So these people were fired or forced to resign. But to me, this seems like a, a deeper sort of punishment might be needed. I mean, is anyone actually being prosecuted over this? Because this is, as far as I'm concerned, these are criminal acts. So someone simply losing a job seems just like a, a window dressing, like a superficial fix. Oh, we've gotten the bad seeds out. Now we can move on. But really, the bad seeds have not been taken care of at all. Well, exactly. I mean, if this is the threshold, the only time someone loses their job is when you become an international embarrassment, which is what happened here. You're not really thinning out the ranks of unethical actors uh, to any significant extent at all. The other point I did make to Congress in my testimony, I'll send it to you if you want to post it on your website. Absolutely. Send it is over. that if a landlord allowed this to happen, EPA and CDC would argue for prosecution and incarceration if a landlord allowed this to happen to a single child. And here, the EPA and the state environmental agency, and of course it was the EPA and CDC in Washington, D.C., essentially poisoned thousands of children. And no one was held accountable. Uh, it's simply amazing. Uh, Dr. Edwards, I'm curious what sort of response you've gotten from your peers in, um, you know, in the engineering field, people that are connected to these agencies. I mean, I assume you received, uh, hopefully you've received a good amount of encouragement and praise, but I I'm curious if you've received any sort of criticism or if anybody has said, hey, back off this stuff, you don't want to get involved or anything like that. Well, I think that this is very distasteful as a scientist. I do not like to be an activist. I only go this route once science fails. And, you know, it's something I learned in Washington, D.C., is that the facts and truth mean nothing to these agencies. The only thing that they understand or respond to is ridicule. And I think we saw that in Flint. So when people criticize me, I get that. You know, I find this whole thing very distasteful as a scientist and engineer. But the alternative is to let science and engineering be used in a bad way to poison kids. And I am not going to stand by and let that happen. Sure. I mean, in a way, it's you're standing up for what's right, but you're also sort of standing up for your profession because otherwise your profession is going to be associated with allowing this sort of thing to happen. Well, yeah. And that, that's the thing people don't realize is that bad science, bad engineering hurt people. You know, most people hear about science and engineering, you think of the good. Science and engineering are capable of great harm. And so I really take this personally. It just makes me sick to think that people in my profession did this to the citizens of Flint. And then the other thing is that, again, here we go with the philosophies. And I've been roundly criticized for speaking out against EPA because some people think, oh, you're, you want EPA's budget to get cut. 
I don't. I want them to do their job. And unless we force them to do their job, unless we force this culture change, we're just going to see this uh, movie over and over again. But, you know, I, I certainly, you know, understand that some people are very angry at me for telling the truth because they love the EPA as I do, but we have a different remedy. I want to get the EPA fixed, and once it's fixed, I will support uh, the EPA 100%. Other people kind of view it, well, we have to defend the EPA at all costs, and if we just gave them more money, everything would be just fine. Personally, I think they live in a fantasy land that, you know, so divorced from reality that I, I really wonder about, well, anyway, I mean, that, that, you know, I've been criticized by a lot of people for um, speaking the truth. There's no doubt. Because I think you have some, you know, secret political agenda, I guess, that is outside of just wanting to help people, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, I didn't put the lead in Flint water, nor did I put the lead in D.C. water. I mean, so explain that. You mentioned that, you know, it was a miracle, not that this occurred as much as it is that they got caught. So, I mean, obviously you don't know, but if you had to estimate, I mean, how many other cities in the United States do you think have a lead problem or have a a similar problem with the poisoning of their water system? I think virtually every major city with lead pipes is not meeting the intent of the lead and copper rule. We've been screaming at the APA for 10 years because it essentially allowed water companies to cheat and collect samples in a way that make the water look like it has low lead when they're getting the EPA samples, but it still has high lead in water when people drink it. So I don't think it's as bad as Flint, but it's very clear that most major U.S. cities with lead pipe are not meeting the intent of this 25-year-old regulation. And that's what makes me just so angry. I mean, we have this law And EPA is not enforcing it. EPA has basically had this attitude, well, anything goes. You can cheat any way you want. And even to the point where today in Flint, they've never failed the lead and copper rule. I mean, that that shows you what a joke this law is. We've had neighborhoods lead poison. We have National Guard walking the streets, distributing bottled water, putting lead filters on people's taps. And officially, according to EPA in the state, they've never failed the lead and copper rule. So I don't need to say anything more about what a joke that rule is. Uh, One thing I want to mention, Dr. Edwards, uh, I know people might not realize the extent to which you've personally sacrificed um, for this mission. And I I mean, it's okay if you don't want to reveal the exact figures, but I know you have put a good amount of your own money into this. So can you just speak on kind of the amount of personal sacrifice you've made for this cause? Well, you know, I mean, this is the job that I was born to do. And I get up every day with such a sense of purpose. I mean, I just wish everyone in their life could experience something like this, something like what happened in Flint when, you know, I got to work with all these amazing people who with no financial incentive at all just gave up their lives to protect the most vulnerable amongst us. But yeah, I mean, I've paid a big price in my career. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to get funding from EPA anytime soon, nor the CDC. I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> I've lost millions of dollars of funding. and Wait, so I just want to stop you there for a second. So they, have you actually seen your funding cut because of this? For oh, yeah. No, I mean, I've submitted grants and people just told me there's no chance that you're ever going to get money. Yeah, you're essentially cut off now. You're, you're, well, yeah, you're too I mean, toxic. you strike at the king and the king gets mad. And, uh, you know, that's one of the prices you pay. I mean, that's what happens. But... You know, on Flint, I spent 200000 of my discretionary money out of my own pocket to expose this. And there's no real way to get that back. But 
again, it's a priceless experience. And fighting the DC battle, I had half a million from the MacArthur Foundation, which was really cool. You know, they just send you a check and say, here's a half million dollars. So I blew that and probably another 700000 just because these guys, you know, you just, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, how evil some of these people are. They're just horrible, horrible people. And, you know, I just can't live in a world where that kind of injustice is allowed to occur. Well, you certainly can't. And uh, that's obvious by the way, you know, the actions you've taken. You also teach a course at Virginia Tech, which I found absolutely fascinating because I never heard of a course like this existing. It's a course on ethics and heroism. So I just want to ask you about that. Is that a course that you designed yourself? Because I mean, I went to college. This was never a course that I had the, the opportunity to take. So can you speak on that for a bit? It's so amazing. So I, I developed this with a mom I met in Washington, D.C. who's a medical anthropologist. And she fought alongside me for about five years in D.C. exposing the, the wrongdoing at these agencies. And we talked a lot, and what we realized is really our educational system and our institutions teach people to be unethical. They teach you to be a coward, as in the case of the Washington, D.C. lead crisis, where the good people all got fired. And what kind of message does that send to an agency? And the bad people got gold medals and kept their jobs. So we teach this class, and it's just so amazing because students come into these institutions, you know, to our universities with all these great dreams, with all these good motives, very altruistic, and we pretty much beat that out of them. Uh, We teach them at every turn almost to go along with the flow, to be willfully blind. And so what we really do in this class is we show them that People are born heroic. You know, people are born good. And you have all these great, great dreams. And just never, ever forget your dreams. Never, ever learn to be an unethical coward. Because that is what will occur to you if you're not careful in the course of your day-to-day life. And people just get so cynical. And they learn. Yeah, they learn to be willfully blind. Because if you're not, you're going to get fired. So, it's a very fascinating class, and of course, this, I try to teach what I call ethical street smarts, which is to learn all of the things that I did not know when I was 40, and I had to learn the hard way, and I teach it to these young uh, kids, and it's just amazing, you know, um, so I wish I had a class like this, because uh, when I got to be 40 years old, I was so naive, I was a danger to myself and the rest of the world, and uh, hopefully they're uh, better prepared to stay the true course. Well, I hope so too. And I, I mean, I hope that a course like this is something that's becomes standard at universities and high schools across America, because it seems that we teach so much in our education system. We emphasize so many things, but ethics doesn't seem to be one of them. And maybe that's really why we see these institutions that are just so unethical and so corrupt, because it's just not something that we're taught about. We're taught about bottom lines and results and, and how to get ahead in politics, but we're not really taught how to be ethical. And maybe that's really something we need to Exactly. And, and what I do say is that uh, you might not be able to teach people to be ethical, but we sure do know how to teach people to be unethical. And we do it every day with our deeds not with our words. And so what we try to show people is just how that happens, how these pressures can make good people into bad people. And please do not do that because someday you will wake up despite your best intentions and maybe you've poisoned an entire city. 
Well, Dr. Edwards, I want to thank you so much for joining me here today. And like I said, political ideologies mean a lot. They mean a lot about how, what shapes the world, but there's something a lot deeper than you know our, our ideas about how government or society should be. And, and that's just basic ethics and basic morality. And it seems like we don't even have the basics down right now in our institutions. So we definitely need more people like you out there sacrificing themselves in a way, because you kind of have sacrificed yourself at the altar. It's cost yourself, like you said, millions in funding. You've cost yourself personally, but at the same time, I think you could probably sleep a lot better at night than if you didn't do all this stuff. And if you just ignore everything that was going on. So I really do want to commend you and, and thank you so much for being on the show today because as far as I'm concerned, you are a hero and uh, we definitely need more people like you. Keep fighting and thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Dr. Edwards. And also before I let you go, I know you do have a, I believe there's a GoFundMe trying to uh, recoup some of the costs you've put in. So if you want to plug that, feel free to go ahead and anything else you'd like to put out there or plug or let people know how else they can contact you, feel free to do that. Sure. Yeah. We have a flintwaterstudy.org page. And as we said, you know, we didn't do it for the money. We wouldn't trade the experience for anything. It was priceless. But if you like what we did and you want to contribute to the cause, uh, feel free to go there and we'd appreciate it. Dr. Mark Edwards, thank you once again. Keep up the amazing work. Take care. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with the great, and I am going to use that word, the great Dr. Mark Edwards, because, you know, this is a different kind of show than I often do, I should say. We, we don't always have guests that are just straight up libertarians or that describe their political philosophy in that way. Frankly, we didn't really get in depth into uh, what Mr. Edwards' overall political philosophy is. And frankly, I don't think we needed to, because that's not what this episode is about. You know, not all my guests are going to be here to talk about, you know, the intricacies of libertarian philosophy as much as I love to get into that stuff, as much as what this show was founded upon in many ways. But, you know, Mark Edwards may not be a libertarian, but I'll tell you what he is. He is a hero. And I don't just use that word, uh, you know, on a whim. He is truly the definition of a hero. He has sacrificed his career. He has sacrificed his own personal time and wealth for really no reward that I can see, unless you consider uh, the opportunity to come on the Lions of Liberty podcast to be a reward. And of course I do in some ways, but you know what I'm saying here. I mean, he could easily have taken the easy road here. He could have ignored all the evidence that he was starting to see that there was corruption in this system, that water was being poisoned. Certainly many other people did. Whether it's people in the EPA, politicians in Washington, D.C., the governor of Michigan, these are the kind of people that were allowing this to occur and ignoring any sort of evidence that was presented to them until someone like Dr. Mark Edwards and his team went and studied the water, studied the water in Washington, D.C., studied the water in Flint, Michigan, with no profit motive whatsoever. They did it because it was the right thing to do. And they informed the public about this travesty, about the poisoning of human beings in major cities in the United States. This is supposed to be a first world country, right? We always say that. We always say, oh, the United States is a first world country. You don't want to go to Mexico, a third world country. Oh, don't drink the water there. Shit, don't drink the water in the United States, it sounds like right now. I mean, even Dr. Edwards admitted this is probably something that's happening to some extent in every major city in the United States. Now, what's the source of this problem? Well, I try to dig into it a little bit, and, and ultimately, you know, we can talk about libertarian philosophy all we want. We can talk about the intricacies of how we believe government should work, or lack of government perhaps, but all that stuff doesn't really matter if we don't have an ethical, rational population. 
Now that's where it starts. That's why I think Mr. Edwards' work on heroism, having a class on ethics and heroism, I mean, that's just incredible. Because we don't teach our kids this stuff. We don't teach anybody this stuff. We don't teach adults this stuff. How to think rationally. How to think ethically. These are the things we need to be talking about. These are the things we need to be driving home into people. Not just anarchy versus minarchy. That's a good conversation to have. That's a conversation I've had on this show and will continue to have on this show. But there's something that comes before that. There is something that comes before that. That's a base philosophy. And ethics, true ethics. It's the kind of stuff we need to focus on because whether you have anarchy, whether you have a small government, heck, whether you have a large government, at the end of the day, it is going to largely reflect the ethics of the population. So that is really where we need to set our target. That's what I'm setting my target on, guys. We need to encourage more people like Dr. Edwards. We need to create more heroes in the world who see something wrong, whether it's the EPA poisoning the water, whether it's a black kid on the street getting harassed because of the color of his skin and getting sent to jail for carrying some marijuana. We need to point at the injustices that we see in our society and loudly shout, this is wrong. Let's put a stop to it. And thankfully, we have someone like Dr. Mark Edwards, who at least in one realm is out there doing that. So I want to literally give this man an applause. He deserves it. Please consider checking out the GoFundMe so he can try to recoup some of his own personal losses in exposing the Flint water crisis. And uh, please do check out his work. He's got some great stuff. We'll link to everything we talked about over at the show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 203. If you do enjoy this program... I would ask you to do a few things. First of all, subscribe. If you don't already, hit that subscribe button on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can also find us on TuneIn Radio. That's how you can listen on your Amazon Echo. Just shout at that puppy, Alexa, play me the Lions of Liberty podcast on TuneIn. And she will cue that puppy right up. It's really a wonderful thing, that Amazon Echo. Of course, you can purchase one of those through our Amazon link, our affiliate link at lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon. That helps give us a little kickback and keep this operation going and hopefully expand it in the very near future. That is the goal. We want to keep growing this podcast, keep growing this conversation, and we can only do it with your help because I'm just one man. I've got a few cohorts, a few great Lions of Liberty here with me. But at the end of the day, we really need the support of our fans, the people that have been coming to the show and supporting us over these last couple of years. That's the only way we're really going to grow things. Another thing you can do is just share the show. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Shoot them an email. Hey, I found this great show. Hey, everyone, and this is a great episode to, to, to share with people because this isn't really that ideological. Almost everyone can agree, regardless of your political ideology, that what happened in Flint is wrong. We might disagree about solutions. We might disagree how we got there. But I'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that isn't inspired by the story of Dr. Mark Edwards. So please do consider sharing this program with your friends, with your family, even people that you might not think would normally be lined up with your ideology. Because, like I said, not everything needs to be about ideology. Sometimes we have a case where something is simply wrong and it's obvious to everyone and this should be one of those cases. We'd love you to, of course, join the conversation as well. You can do so by joining our private group on Facebook, the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can type it in your search bar, Lions of Liberty Forum. We'll also link to that in the show notes today. Please do join the conversation with us. You can find our main Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. Find us on the Twitter at Lions of Liberty. There are just so many ways to join this conversation. This coming Monday, 
I've already interviewed a few of these guys. I've interviewed some of the major libertarian candidates for president. I've talked with Austin Peterson. I have talked with John McAfee. And now we're going to bring in another guy by the name of Daryl Perry. Now, he wasn't in the John Stossel debate, but he has been in numerous other debates for the Libertarian Party, many of the local debates. And uh, he's a really interesting guy. So we're going to bring him on. He is from the Free State Project. He's uh, one of the hosts of Free State Live. Mr. Daryl Perry will be joining the show to discuss his run for the Libertarian nomination this coming Monday. And of of course, before then, you've got another edition of Felony Friday, John Odermatt's weekly look at the broken criminal justice system. We've just got so much material coming at you here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, and we're thrilled to have you guys here. So until next time, folks, live long and live free.